0: Welcome to the Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset with me, Johnny Pardo. Welcome back to the Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset podcast and YouTube video. Today, I'm privileged to be welcomed by a special guest, Gianna. So welcome, Gianna.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, it's awesome that you're with us today. So just to give a quick introduction about Gianna before uh, she introduces herself. So Gianna is a board-certified behavior analyst, coach, writer, international speaker, and founder of the innovative corporate well-being agency, WorkWell. As a coach, she integrates behavior science, laughter, Buddhist psychology, meditation, and design thinking to help her clients live more with more clarity and authenticity her corporate well-being agency uses a cultural assessment and well-being research to create epic work cultures employees love awesome and she lives in los angeles with her free rescue animals fantastic and her passions include wayfaring writing and constantly working to elevate her life through conscious endeavor Brilliant. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation, Gianna. So uh, would you like to say a little bit more about yourself?
1: Um, sure. I, um, I actually grew up in the field of um, education and research, working with children with autism and absolutely adored it. I did it for about a decade um, and fell in love with uh, behavioral science and understanding why we do what we do. And so uh, after a decade, I worked in the government, I worked in DC, I worked in the Central Office of Special Education, um, I did research, I was in healthcare, I did all kinds of things, and uh, about four years ago, almost four years ago to the day, I, um, I decided to leave the clinical world because I was hitting this ceiling, um, and I wanted to use the science of human behavior to solve other problems, and so... Um, I had my last day June 9th, uh, 2017. took off to Europe for six weeks and lived there with a friend and and noticed that the way of life was very, very different there. And I came back very protective over health and happiness of people. Um, And I I noticed more than ever um, how the American workforce was really hijacking our lives and there is was this social currency around, well, I work 14 hours a day. Well, I work 16 hours a day. Well, I never stop. I haven't taken a vacation in three years. Um, and it, it worried me. Um, and there was a, a very foundational moment when I realized that that was the problem that I wanted to solve, um, is creating workplaces that are environments that influence our health and happiness. Um, and I, I didn't think that we were getting it right at the time. And employee well-being was actually um, starting to skyrocket, you know, we were like copying Google and Facebook and looking to them to see what they're doing. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about more, more about that. Um, but yeah, so that, that landed me here today.
0: Ah, brilliant. It uh, sounds like you, you had a interest in behavioral science from quite an early stage. What, what do you think it was that drew you to that originally?
1: I had a father who was very curious And was always um, treating me as if, he was teaching me that life was to be lived through learning and that you never stop learning. And so, you know, growing up, I think that curiosity was instilled in me from a really young age. I was just always really interested in, you know, what makes people do what they do. Um, And I didn't, you know, despite being a psych major in college, I had never heard of behavior analysis before um, until well after college so um, I found that calling kind of late but um, yeah it's it's you know a process by which we behave and learn and grow Um, and that was always going to be interesting to me.
0: Yeah no that sounds like we're very similar I mean I too did uh, psychology at university Um, I know we, we call them college university kind of a different things but I did it um, at university as well and then it's very much in the the real world that's when kind of it struck my interest a little bit in terms of right how are people interacting and then actually how am I behaving myself and why why is that so sounds like from if, if it's accurate to say you you found actually from real life experience and analyzing other people that's where your your interest sparked.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think as a child, I was really curious, mm. but as I grew up and got into the workforce, um, I, mm. I had some really great bosses um, and working in the Central Office of Special Education in DC, we were there to change things. Um, and the way that things were being changed was very um, archaic, I would say, but we were given this beautiful evaluation center. We had all the funding. Um, I was just filled with purpose and meaning. And um, at a really young age, you know, at 26 after grad school, my executive director and director encouraged me to challenge the status quo. You know, uh, this wasn't the piece of government where we were gonna get away with saying, well, that's how we've always done it. So that's how we're gonna continue doing it. Mm. Um, And so I had really great bosses um, at a very influential time in my life that made me empowered. You know, that made me feel more powerful and and ready to to say, well, why are we doing it that way? There's got to be a better way. And with that extra added component of knowing behavior and knowing human behavior, that touches happiness, satisfaction, performance, retention, um, the the efficiency, um, how, you know, the efficiency with which a a business can run. So, um, you know, when you're a behavior analyst, you can work anywhere behavior exists. Uh, So I got quite lucky there.
0: Mm, okay. And it, sound, yeah, it sounds like you had some great bosses uh, who, who demonstrated some like, good examples there for you. So that sounds, um, that sounds brilliant. And then kind of looking, looking at things with curiosity, as you touched on earlier, that sounds brilliant as well. So what, what are some of the, in your area of work, what are some of the main, obviously it varies from place to place and individual to individual, but what are some of the main challenges you perhaps see? With clients? Yeah, with clients in particular. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, when I was working with children with autism in my clinical world, mm. they, the parents of the children, understandably so, were dealing with a lot of emotional content. Right? You know, we had all these great plans in place to reduce tantrums, to teach them to talk, to teach them to dress themselves, to work with all kinds of um, varying degrees of aggressive and, and troublesome behavior but the parents were so emotionally hijacked in those moments um, when their children were having tantrums or, or being aggressive that they, they really had trouble following our plan. And so when I left clinical, I decided I wanted to start working with more of the internal behavior. Um, we would call it a private event is what we call like thoughts and feelings, things that you can't see. Mm. Um, I feel at the time, only really dealt with observable behavior, which I found to be a real issue because um, obviously we all walk around with um, negative self-talk and you know that voice in our head that's like, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You're not going to be able to do that. And it derails our overt behavior. It derails the behavior that people see, the things we go out and do every day. And so my first little foray into entrepreneurship was to teach neuroscience-based meditation classes. To I started my own private practice for a little bit Um, And I wanted to teach parents to come to a calm alert state in those really anxiety provoking moments. Um, And the more I got into meditation, I read a book um, by Dr. James Doty. He's a neuroscientist called Into the Magic Shop. I recommend it for everyone. Mm. And uh, it really got me into the neuroscience of meditation. And once I realized and learned about things like cortical specificity and and redirecting internal verbal behavior, those thoughts and those feelings, Mm. I realized how important um, that inner work is. And so um, that is something that I've carried with me because with my clients, you know, I I founded WorkWell four years ago, three years ago, four years ago, um, I founded WorkWell we were doing assessments um, in organizations and the executives started asking me to coach them. Um, and so I was invited into the hearts and minds of all these amazing leaders and we got right down to the soft stuff. And it was all of that covert internal behavior, right? Those thoughts and those feelings, mm-hmm. whether it's a successful older white male or a younger you know, woman of color, um, obviously there are varying degrees of um, oppression and challenges and issues throughout the spectrum of humanity. But at the end of the day, we all deal with the same thing, which is, you know, we're not born not feeling good enough. We're not born with those internal thoughts. We learn them. Where do we learn them? Parents, Mm. teachers, partners, right? We all have come across people who who maliciously intend to hurt us and who are really, really well-meaning, but still send the message that we aren't good enough and can't Mm. do things. Um, you know, my, my, my parents raised me to learn, but when I got into a PhD program, they were like, I don't know, that's gonna be really hard. You know, and the message was, you can't do that, right? That's too hard. And so we're, we're given these messages throughout our lives and that's what we call a learning history. Um, and we build these things into our minds. And then we're in our twenties or thirties or forties or fifties and we have a moment where there's a crack in our foundation where we think, is any of this even true? I don't want to live like this anymore. Hmm. Um, I, I am, what if I am good enough? Right. And we start to challenge those stories and beliefs that we've been given. And that's the number one thing I work on with people. That's the number one challenge that I see.
0: Yeah. I love that. What you're saying about our beliefs and, um, very much I've been to Tony. One of the most notable things I've ever been to was date with destiny of Tony Robbins. And we went, you go really deep into your deepest beliefs and values. And I think I must have cried about five times on that. And I'm not a crying person, <laughs> uh, but it goes really deep into your beliefs where you're picking out these, these things of, oh, that's where that came from. And like you were saying, there, you know, there can be experiences where perhaps like you're in a relationship breakup and some really horrible things did happen. Things were said. Or someone you know unfortunately there are cases of abuse whether that's physical mental and that can stay with you but like you said there's also cases where it's not intentionally malicious there just could have be been something said at one point and this creates that belief in your head and actually it's not even consciously there sometimes but it's a in the background so yeah i love what you said about we're not necessarily born with these bad things and i think that's something i really try and emphasize particularly to people listening today is that sometimes we have this misconception that our confident people are just confident and I'm not, but it's actually, you know, it's the the work and we do to ourselves consistently. So I love, I love what you sort of were talking about on really the beliefs that we have and going in understanding the inner work and it does narrow down to a couple of things, but actually helping people identify that. So it sounds like uh, that could be, yeah, quite a really interesting area of work for you. So Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So how, I mean, when you, when you go with someone, does it take them a while to sort of unveil like their, their sort of beliefs a little bit?
1: You know, the first thing that I do when I work um, with clients in my coaching practice is um, build a relationship. Mm. Um, I see this as a relationship endeavor. Um, I set Mm -hmm. out to make friends Um, my, most of my clients, I keep in touch with me and we become friends, you know, well after sessions end. Um, but I think that we're all looking for connection. And so I start there, um, because I wouldn't want anyone to feel like they had to open up and share things and be really vulnerable and go to scary dark places if they didn't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that you know, I didn't set out to be a coach. I was just asked over and over again. And then I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to do that now uh, and started that service line. Um, but I feel like I have been so, um, so blessed and I'm so grateful to, um, to have clients that are ready to do the work and ready to open up. Um, and I, I think my whole life, people have said, you know, I can't believe I just told you that, right? So I think I tend to, to evoke, you know, <laughs> evoke those things quicker than most. Um, but no, I mean, you know, a, a client I'm thinking of right now is the president of a very successful company. Um, you know, older white male, 55 ish years old, um, and within the first three sessions, he was crying about the way that his mother spoke to him, and he didn't even really intend. Um, on being coached. I was coaching um, another executive of his and he just kind of hopped in to, to be a part of the team. Um, wow. And so, yeah. And and so sometimes people come right to me and say, here are the things that I want to work on. Um, I would say 90% of the time people will reach out to me and say, I'm completely lost. Uh, I know something isn't right, but I'm sick of feeling wrong and I need help. And um, and it's really the job of a coach, as I'm sure you know, is to mm. tease to, to those threads out and to ask those really good questions and to invite people to open up and, and get there themselves. Um, so yeah, I, I would say most of the time people just have a feeling that that something could be better um, or that there's stuff there and they want someone to kind of help guide them through that process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And would you would you say the... The art of kind of being self-awareness the the self-awareness is absolutely key to that helping people understand more about themselves
1: absolutely i think on on behalf of the coach you know i was lucky to grow up um one of my first master's degrees was in counseling and they have you do a lot of your own work before Mm. you work with anyone else and so I was really taught to be self-aware through that program. So I think coaches have to be really self-aware. You don't yeah. want to coerce or lead or, um, or, or influence um, your, your clients. You really just want to be a vessel for change. Um, and I think, yes, people who typically seek out coaching are, even if they're not super self-aware, they, um, they want to be. They want to learn how to be and they want to open themselves up. And that's really the only requirement, I think, for coaching is is ready to just kind of like lay down and open up and say, you know, here's how I feel, here's what I'm dealing with. um, And I trust you to lead and guide me. And it's a partnership, right? Um, And, you know, as a behavior analyst, I know that behavior is bi directional. So it's really important that both people come into that session and, and enter into that relationship together with their eyes wide open, um, which Mm. is why I use humor. I'm pretty informal. You know, you'll see me in my like joggers and my, my tank top in sessions. Um, you know, people in LA, we can meet in a park, we go for walks. Um, it's really just as comfortable and enjoyable as possible.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I, um, reminded me yesterday. I think I just finished like mental rather than I came in was just, there on my coaching session yesterday, just reminded me of that. (laughs) <laughs> they can see you're a person too. So you can build that, that relationship. Um, yeah, absolutely love that. So how, how important would you say is it to be authentic?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I will say I, I hired a, a, an agency to, to redo my website and kind of invested in them during the pandemic mm. when I was doing some things and they interviewed a lot of my old clients. Mm. And the one thing that came out was, well, the two things that came out, um, it feels like I'm talking to a really close friend um, and she does the work first, right? Um, I never wanted to be, I think it's really hard to allow someone to help you when they're doing a lot of telling and not a lot of doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm working with people on how to show up as their authentic selves in their own lives, right? And to answer the scary questions that I ask and to do that deep work and to open up. And if I'm not, ready to do that with them, um, they don't get as good of an experience, right? Coaching is very experiential. Um, It can be really scary, but it can also be really enjoyable, hopefully both, to know you're doing it right. Um, And so I give examples from my own life all the time. Um, I'm happy to share. I'm always an open book. I'm happy to share things that I've been through to relate. So uh, I don't think I've ever struggled to come up with a story that is similar uh, to a client's say, I remember going through that, I, I, I can empathize, right? I think it's important for empathy. As far as authenticity, um, I see it as, you know, when we talk about well-being at work or in life, it it's typically centered around like, are we drinking water? Are we getting sleep? And, and obviously that's all very important. But mm. you know, as a behavior scientist, you always want to look at, well, why aren't people doing those things? right? Mm. It's not that people don't know that eating salad and moving your body is good for you. It's that they're not doing it for another reason. And yeah. So,
0: just, they know the strategy. It's just the the psychology can get in the way. Yeah.
1: Right. And so when people, you know, a lot, of, a lot of clients during the pandemic were saying, I used to work out all the time, but now it's really hard. And I used to drink water and I used to eat my salads and now it's really hard. Um, and so what I saw a lot of was People just getting really tired in a really difficult time. Um, And so when I talk about well-being, I think authenticity is at the forefront of well-being because everything that I've ever learned about anyone, including myself, Hmm. there are two things I know to be true. We want to, the healthiest, happiest people um, are allowed to have the courage to show up in the world as themselves, right? Wearing whatever they want. They hold their beliefs true to them. They know their values. They show up in the world as our authentic selves. And we all want to be able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And then we want the world to receive us. For, for that belonging, right? You, your authentic self, all of your quirks and cracks and weirdness and coolness and all the things that are unique about you are welcome here. Hmm. And so it's that bi-directionality that we're all looking for. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm always trying to cultivate with clients of who are you? Let's figure all of that out and build a really strong identity and lifestyle that you can be proud of. And then how are we gonna take that out into the world and teach the world to appreciate you for who you are without apology, without hesitation, without um, backing up and making sure that who you are is okay with everyone, right? Mm. You can show up as a full expression of yourself in your life and whoever is not gonna accept that or encourage that or, or reinforce that, it's fine. But you're gonna be moving on from those relationships mm. because it's those relationships that kind of take us back down. That we we drift back to where we were and we don't want to go back there, right? And so um, I think that that is that's the most beautiful thing of the human experience.
0: Yeah, no, no, totally true. And and do you think we're conditioned a lot of the time not to be our authentic self with you know social media left, right, and center the news and everything like that going on?
1: Absolutely. I mean, our and this is this is neuroscience. Our brains work in categories, right? Our brains work in buckets. You are male. I am female. You wear these types of clothes. Mm-hmm. You to these types of music. I call you this, right? I call you like you're kind of like a punk style guy, or you're like a, you know, like a conservative, or you know, our, our brains work really well with containers and labels. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, our brains don't like to do a lot of work. Our brains are actually quite lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, if we can get out of the that boxed way of thinking, we accept the full spectrum of humanity. And so, when we look at politics, media, social media, especially, everybody's got their brands now, you know, like these colors make you this, and these colors kind of make you that. Um, we're we're continuously putting ourselves in buckets, which I think, it makes sense neuropsychologically but it does a real disservice I think to the to the uniqueness of the human experience. And so and this starts you know with our parents right They want to keep us safe. Mm. Uh, I think especially as women right um, Don't be too loud. don't be too strong. don't be too this you know don't be too skinny, but don't be too fat. don't be too this, but don't be too that right And so we're, we're conditioned, especially women to be brought up to like look around and do that social referencing um you know and that that also comes from like caveman and cavewoman days of being in a tribe mm. and different and other was bad right survival
0: it was linked I, to survival I, I, yeah
1: absolutely i can trust you you know we're in our tribes and you know you're you look different act different you're taller you're shorter that's different that's bad i don't, I don't know if i trust you mm. um the same thing with stress right? We were, our stress responses were very useful when we were running from tigers and bears, Yeah, but things have changed and our bodies and brains have not really mm-hmm. evolved as quickly as our species. So our bodies can't tell the difference between a boss yelling at us or mm-hmm. a violent partner or a tiger. Yeah, um, And our, we, our bodies can't tell the difference between, hey, you know, that professor's treating me this way because he sees me as other, but I'm still showing up as my authentic self right? We are, we're just in that fear and stress response, and that's aversive, and so we kind of go back into our hole, our, our container, right? Well, if I'm in this container, I'm very safe, and nobody bothers me, so I'm going to stay here. Um, it keeps us safe, but the bad news is, again, you hit your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and you go, this. No, this doesn't feel right, right? And that authenticity starts to just, to, like, you start to outgrow um, the box that you've been placed in, Um, I think especially for women, you know, we've got the glass ceiling, I think it's more like a glass box, right? Something shatters regardless of the direction in which we move. Um, And then, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, I don't really care if the glass shatters, I'm going to go be myself. Um, So yeah, I think we are put in boxes, but hopefully, workers like you and I are helping people break out of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you started, I love what you talked about the survival brain a little bit. And, you know, it, it was very good at, some of the time, very good at keeping us alive, um, and it can be in like this day and age. If it's a life or death situation, like you know someone dangerous coming at you, it it can do that. But actually, if you're going up and giving a speech, you can sometimes get that same response if you're very nervous about public speaking. And I remember a great book I read, uh, "The Gift of Fear" by Gavin De Becker. Um, that was a really good book, and uh, he was talking about public speak. And now I'm I'm one of those weirdos who actually likes it.
1: Me too. Um, you <laughs> too.
0: I was going to say you too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, some people reach out to me on that a bit, but it's actually some, it's linked to kind of loss of identity. If we're kind of like disapproved, I remember reading that. And that makes complete sense. Now reality, you're not going to die probably from giving a bad speech or something, but the brain doesn't necessarily register that. And it thinks, you know, this is you know, really on edge. So, um, yeah, totally to relate to what you say and the realization actually that I might be getting a little bit more pain from not being myself than kind of just like this pain that I've been holding myself, you know, if I'm doing something a little bit um, out of my comfort zone. So, yeah, yeah like what you, you, talked bring, about.
1: you bring up a great point. You know, I think people are, you know, the number one fear, I think, like in the world is public speaking
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: because you're you're exacerbating a situation that we live in all the time, right? Yeah. Um, when you're on a stage, you are very vulnerable. And it's like, you're just kind of like this, you know, here I am. And you're, I'm the only person that you're looking at right now. And you're up for judgment and criticism. Um, And so people notice we're, we're conditioned by our environments. We notice, oh, a yawn over there, or, oh, that person isn't paying attention. Or, and then we start to build these stories, right? Oh my gosh, I'm boring. I'm not doing a good job. I should have prepared. I shouldn't have drank last night. Um, I should have gotten more sleep, right? And you start these like um, this snowball, but these are the things that all of us go through every day. And so when you're talking about, you know, hey, are we, you know, are we put in boxes? Is it hard to be authentic? Of course it is. I think this is why social media is so appealing because we can choose what self we put out there, right? And if we put something up, we can just delete it later. We can take it down. It doesn't have to be real. Um, and so, you know, we're all walking around picking up cues from other people as to what's acceptable and what isn't uh, and that's what makes us who we are so yeah i think public speaking i have a lot of respect for public speakers and their ability to um find that calm alert state in that moment and maintain their focus
0: yeah no absolutely and there's certain st- various strategies that we won't go into that um i know i know i've heard plenty of them like talk about um uh, people like mel robbins i followed and Joseph McClendon, as I mentioned earlier, um, who just you kind of find a way around that what I'm um, kind of like f- one of my final questions really is how, how important in your work, do you, do you see the role of habits and do you look at people's habits quite regularly what they're doing on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what we do is who we become right and so. I work with internal habits first, again, those beliefs and thoughts. Um, I think of it like, you think of like a record player, right? Mm. What's your record playing every day? So you get up and think, what if something amazing happens today? Or gosh, yesterday was awesome and I want to really bring that into today. Or um, are you well set for your day? What are you telling yourself about yourself, your day? Um, And I think, you know, those thoughts that drive our behavior is really important. People can unknowingly derail themselves really quickly first thing in the morning with that like mental junk food that you feed yourself for breakfast, right? I don't wanna go to work, you know, I'm not good enough, like all those things, Um, but they can also be derailed. This is why I love behavior so much because every behavior can be changed. Um, It just depends on a very specific process that I take clients through to step out of those habits, right? People don't need to be told, Be positive, you know, think positively. It's like, okay, thanks for the advice. Um, There's a reason that people don't. And so, yeah, I mean, I think habits are really important. Um, There's a a concept, a phenomenon called fluency um, in behavior analysis. Just because you do something once doesn't mean it's a habit. Um, Hmm. When we are changing our behavior and trying to do something new, whether it's a different thought pattern or we're gonna exercise in the morning or whatever it is, number one, it's really, really difficult to change because there's something reinforcing your current behavior that keeps you stuck. So number one, what is that thing? Number two, now that we know what that thing is, how can we, it's called a a task analysis, right? We take little teeny tiny steps, We, we shape a behavior. We don't get up and run a marathon. We get up and say, hey, you're not a morning person, but you wanna be. Do you think you can get up and like walk a lap around the block, right? Or walk up and down your stairs one time, like embarrassingly small goals embarrassingly small things because we don't do things unless there's a payoff for us right consequences maintain most of our behavior what happens after we do something maintains that behavior so you have to do the behavior to get the reward most people will say well i'm not going to do that because they don't know what it's like to be rewarded for that, right? They don't know what it's like to get up and go for a run in the morning and feel great, you know, and have that done by seven o'clock in the morning. And so if we can shape people to those bigger goals, um, that's really, really important. But those habits, you need to build fluency with habits. And this is why things like one-off trainings and, you know, all those things don't build habits don't work, right? Mm -hmm. You need a guide and an accountability partner to kind of shape you over the course of weeks or months until this habit is so fluent. It's part of your ritual or routine for the day. It's just part of what you do. And if you don't do it, the day feels weird or you feel off Mm -hmm. or you lose energy. And then that consequence keeps you going back to that thing that you built. Um, you know, I, I know people who have done like the whole 30 diet. Right. And after the month they're like, yeah, I, I think I feel better, but then they go back to it that they were eating and they feel terrible. And so that consequence drives them back and keeps them in that healthier lifestyle habit. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of tips and tricks and, and behavior hacks when it comes down to the science of, of building those habits and changing our behavior that I find fascinating.
0: Yeah, I I always find habits fascinating. And I'm sort of at a stage now, I'm always, when I hear something, it's like, how do I make this into a habit to kind of like shape my life? Not what am I just going to do like this once? Um, And that's going to wear. And one of the most influential books, I think for me, was James Clear's uh, Atomic Habits, which was a fascinating read, which I really, really liked. So yeah, I love what you're saying. And then, of course, we could have like, like, like you were talking about earlier, the brain doesn't, can't think about everything in the day because it would go mental, it you know, explode. So it's it's doing this autopilot mode most of the time and just running on things. And these things don't always serve us, like, um, and we're not thinking about it. So consciously, yeah, like you were saying, sort of bringing them to our attention and then looking at getting them over and over again um, is key. So we can kind of automatically do the right thing. So, um, I'm, you know, it's always fascinating to speak about habits and hear, Kind of people's perspectives on it so yeah no, thanks for sharing that so um also it's been a really fantastic chat with you and really enjoyed this so is there any kind of like final points you you'd kind of like to share with us
1: um yeah you know i think in regards to the last really tough year and change hmm. um i hope everyone out there is carrying at least a little bit of hope with them. Um, I absolutely love times of transition and change even when they're hard because they're opportunities to to turn it all around and to create improvement and to create new habits and, and new lifestyles and new mm-hmm. work styles, right? And so um, I would highly recommend that people take this time. Um, I was teaching a, a class through Simon Sinek and his company uh, last year That's and the client. question yeah, yeah. I coached him for a while. Um, and Ooh. so the, the course um, was first using meditation to get people kind of into that calm alert state. Um, but the question that that I would always ask that really resonated with people, uh, when we can ask this anytime in our lives, really, but it's especially pertinent now is, after this really challenging time, what have you learned? What lessons have you learned that you don't ever want to forget? Because when our environment changed and things were very scary and people were you know sick and dying, and it was you know we were all kind of in it together, I saw this, um, this togetherness and influx of kindness within myself, within my friends, within humanity. And when our environments start to change back, we start to lose those lessons. Um, and so I just would love everyone if I can give kind of a, a thoughtful question to leave with today. It's that, you know, what is the lesson that you've learned about yourself, about the way you want to live or work or exist in the world, that you're just ready to go do something about it, right? I'm working on a book now that helps people kind of just just do it, right? Just stop, just stop hesitating and just go do it because the time is literally now. Um, and so I just would love to, to leave everyone with that thought um, and see if it, see what happens, see what happens to your day when you when you ask yourself that question.
0: Fantastic we always like encourage I always like encouraging quality questions as well to people because that often determines the quality of your life and you know for waking up and saying oh what's going to go wrong today it's a completely different question to oh what have I learned about this tough time what am I going to do going forward and I love the quality of that question so yeah thank I'm you for leaving that.
1: Yeah my my new favorite thing which has changed literally changed my life in the last four weeks is saying, what if something amazing happens today? And I just smile whenever I say that, you know, and I'm not, it's just like, I use Buddhist principles in my work and it's it's just non-attachment, right? I'm not hoping something incredible happens, right? Um, But every day exists the possibility to be more authentic, to be better, for something amazing to happen. and if I could, you know, if I could teach everyone to start their day that way, and to just show them what it's done for me, gosh, it's it's just been such a gift. So, yeah, I'm very hopeful about the future. And you know, what if something amazing happens today?
0: Yeah, don't don't start asking yourself that one, everyone, because uh, you'll be in danger of feeling good the majority of the time. We don't <laughs> want that. Of course, I'm joking. That's a great question. <laughs> no, I love that one as well. But yeah, the, some good couple of quality questions you gave there. Um, that you know always ask yourself um, those good questions to kind of determine our life a little bit so like I said it's been a fantastic chat and really enjoyed the value you've given and I always love neuroscience and you you've explained today all like the areas of work you cover in like such simple and easy to understand explanations but if people want to find out a little bit more about you Where's the best place for them to find you on social media or your website?
1: Uh, I'm on Instagram at Gianna uh, My website is GiannaBiscontini.com. That's my coaching website. I will be relaunching Workwell um, in the next couple of days here. So this is perfect timing. It's workwell.com. It's W3RKWELL.com.
0: Brilliant. And what we'll do um, is we'll put them in the description as well. So, everyone can get to those direct links as well from this episode so uh, they can find out some more about you which you know it's fascinating so uh, get even more value from Gian- Gianna so thanks again uh, Gianna for being on the podcast uh, it been a real pleasure to have you on today
1: thank you so much for having me
0: of course and we will catch you in the next episode